It's a very good afternoon. Niall Boylan with you here. Now, a lot of been, people have been talking about the EU Migration Pact, and we've also been talking about immigration, which we spoke about on the show earlier on today, on the live show earlier on today. We spoke to Pat and Tobin about Leo Varadkar's misinformation, and I want to kind of get a roundup of everything, particularly the EU Pact, because people say they don't even know what they're signing up to. Uh, well, what Ireland are signing up to. Now, we've talked in the past about the Dublin 3 regulation 2013. This is the update to the Dublin 3 regulation, which Leo Varadka, by the way, said on Grip Media, says that uh, a person doesn't have to apply for asylum in the first country or the first country they enter. Mind you, most people seem to disagree with him. So who's telling the porky pies. Who's the one who's actually telling the truth? Which is misinformation and what's not misinformation? Well, to give me some more details on the basics, really, of the EU Migration Pact is Senator Sharon Kyogen, who's the first female councillor elected to Shannon and she joins me. Sharon, good afternoon to you. Thank you for having me on, Niall. Um, and good afternoon to all your listeners. <laughs> but first of all, let's get to this EU Migration Pact. You said on Twitter, we will be sold out by your MEPs any or all of our previous vetoes on immigration, the Dublin 3 regu regulation 2013, will be voided based on solidarity and the strength of our GDP. We need an election now. We need a referendum on immigration. I don't think anybody would disagree with you, by the way, that we need it. We, even though we don't essentially need it as such legally need it, but I think for, uh, for the sake of the people, we need a referendum on immigration because we've now had an Amorak poll and a Red Sea poll suggests that three quarters of the population roughly uh, disagree with the government policy on immigration. So we certainly do need to put it to the people, but that's not probably going to happen, not before this election yeah. anyway. But let's get to the EU Migration Pact first. What does it actually mean? Okay. When does it happen? So very simply, I mean, Ireland, Ireland would have lots of uh, laws around immigration and asylum. And I think we need to talk about those um, and all the treaties that... and. Um, laws that would have been passed in this country over the last number of years. So let's deal with the, the first one is the Treaty of Amsterdam in 1997. So certain member states of which Ireland is uh, in, 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 in Europe, they can opt in or out of the of EU law. So Ireland, Ireland is automatically opted out of laws passed in the areas of freedom, of security and justice. Um, so we can manually opt in or opt out in relation to that. So very, so freedom, security and justice um, on the subjects of EU law. So the Treaty on the Functioning of the European Union states that freedom, security and justice uh, includes asylum, the rules around borders, immigration policies. So when EU uh, laws are passed in these areas, Ireland has three months to choose whether to opt in or opt out. And that's according to the, the EU Commission. Now, Ireland, the EU has never forced Ireland to take in refugees or, or immigrants. Ireland has no obligation to take in refugees. Uh, uh, same as Denmark, it, uh, it has an opt-in or an opt-out clause on justice and immigration measures under the Lisbon Treaty. However, however Ireland has voluntarily agreed to fully participate in the EU relocation and settlement schemes set up in the response to the 2015 uh, migrant cri crisis. So where, where does that sit with what Michal Martin and Leo Varadkar have been telling us for the last year, that if we don't do it, that we get heavily fined? And we've seen fines given to other countries as well, of course, who haven't done that. Yeah, well, so where does that sit well, with that? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, we have to deal with, we ha let's deal with the rest of the, the regulations around. So let's deal with the one in relation to the Dublin 3 regulation. So that was signed in June um, 1990. So the basic principle is that the first country where fingerprints are stored for anyone seeking asylum, 
is responsible for that that particular claim. So fingerprints are taken and checked uh, against Eurodac. Euro, the, that's the EU database yeah. uh, for international protection applicants. Um, so so they would show on show up in the system. It means that they've applied elsewhere first. Okay, so the IPO should then revoke. Dublin 3 regulations to find out which country is responsible and Ireland does not have to entertain their application if they've previously applied in another country. Okay, so Liam However, has said we, have no we have no idea right if this myth. is done. Yeah. Yeah, we've no idea if this is done given that we're here and nothing about it and if it's possible to assume that it may, it may not be done. Then you've got the International Protection Act 2015. So the, the main act governing Ireland's international protection regi regime is this particular one. So the states, this states, um, you have three ways to, to, to remain in this state. So your refugee status on foot of persecution, subsidiarity protection status. Um, so you don't qualify uh, uh, as a, a refugee, but risks of harm in, the, in their home country if they went back. And you get, sometimes permission is granted then from the Minister uh, for Justice um, if they don't if they don't qualify in, in either of the first two the first two ways so she she or she or whoever the minister of justice can actually give permission uh, to state so section 212 of that act um states that the person's application is rendered in, inadmissible where another member state has granted um uh, refugee status or protection status to that person or where another member state is the first country of asylum for the person so where the person arrived in the state from a safe third uh, third country. So, I mean, look, at we all know the figures in relation to um, what are coming into this country. We now have, I think it's 26,400, um, let me make sure it's correct, I want to make sure again, 26,279 uh, international protection applicants um, at the end of December 2023. So, that is that is what's uh, what's in our state at this moment in time. Many of them are still in uh, state accommodation um, because there's no there's no there's no uh, um, desire for the government to actually get them out of um, a state accommodation or a direct provision centres. So at this moment in time, this government is providing accommodation and state welfare for twenty six thousand. 279 and, international... And to point out, even those who have had their asylum process approved, and some have, actually more than usual uh, is being approved, because normally most are declined, but even those who are approved are still in state accommodation, still in direct provision yeah. centres, mainly they're not they're even still, coming out. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're still in direct provision. But what about those that aren't approved? What about those that that have had their application uh, rejected? I mean, it was reported there, I think Barry White and News Talk reported there on the 14th of... Uh, um, January, that there's hundreds of people that are ordered to leave the state, but they don't comply with that. So there's nothing there to compel anyone to leave this state uh, once they get that letter uh, that they're not they're they're supposed to self deport. Well, according to there's the old no... Bradke, he said it was over a thousand deportation orders given out. He was incorrect. Actually, it was actually seven hundred and eighty something deportation orders were given yeah. out. He also said that deportations are forcibly uh, enforced, which they're not uh, by their own government's admission. By the way, they're given voluntarily, and yeah. we have no idea how many people actually do leave the state because we don't actually follow it up. Um, so, the, but you know, the shocking the... figure, the shocking figure the other day in relation to the. The asylum seekers at Dublin Airport that are coming in without their, their documents. 
I mean, 75% uh, of people coming in have destroyed those documents or lost their passports. Leo Branco also says that's untrue. But can I point out, RTE reported this over the weekend. So now it seems RTE are all part of the right wing as well. Um, So this idea that constantly are being told these things are untrue and misinformation... You know, I mean, yeah. where, where do we stand with that? When Leo Bradker is saying things like, for example, the, the Dublin the regulation, Dublin 3 regulation has changed and that core criteria of point of entry doesn't exist anymore. And he's saying anybody it's saying right. that is is, is basically uh, spreading misinformation and right wing misinformation. Now, actually, he calls it's it right. now. He's changed that now since Script have challenged him. He now calls it mainstream media misinformation. Um, yeah. And he's the one who's telling the truth and everybody else is wrong. No. In fact, those those laws are exist in this country. It's just they don't implement them. And that's the problem. They don't implement them. So let's let's deal with the one now that Helen McEntee uh, actually welcomed there last week, the EU Pact on Migration and Asylum. So this was drafted by the European Parliament and the European Council. It fundamentally overhauls the asylum and migration uh, landscape across the EU. So it introduces a solidarity mechanism. So it reflects the the different challenges created by the different geographical locations, which means that countries that are further away from uh, countries of our origin, i.e. countries far from Africa or the Middle East, will be assigned migrants who enter Europe from border countries. So under this pact, a number of migrants um, come into this country and the EU basically decides the fair share based on our population and GDP. Now, we know that Ireland's GDP is famously inflated and divorced from our quality of life on on account of the the multinational companies using Ireland uh, as a tax haven. So if the EU assigns us migrants based on our GDP, we will be overrun as the housing and the infrastructure simply is not there. So the the first rule... Sorry, Sharon, for interrupting why do you think a government, uh, and you would assume that they're intelligent people, well, we'd like to assume yeah. they're reasonably intelligent people. Why do you think a government are continuing to do something? It's like waking up every day and making the same mistake and expecting a different answer. When the population of the country, the people who voted for them and the people who they work for, uh, and you work for, and we all work for in some sense, mm. even in the media, uh, we're here to represent those people. And the majority of those people, two thirds of those people have said, please stop this. Why do you think they're continuing to do it every day, knowing that we're already in a huge accommodation crisis and we've had that accommodation crisis since before this started 18 months ago, and yet we're continuing to do it with nowhere to put people, causing a division across society where we see today in Ross Graham, we'll come to that in a few minutes, where the guards are out in force, which is not a very good look for Angarda Shea by the way, when you only have a few protesters and you have, I don't know, half of, I don't know, 500 guards all standing there in a line. It just doesn't look good. And meanwhile, by the way, Leo's over in Davos. Uh, Mary Lou is on a protest for Palestine in the middle of London somewhere. And I don't know where Michal is. So why do you think they're continuing to, to this reckless immigration policy, which it is reckless? To me, it, to me, it is reckless. And, and you're right, it is reckless. But it, 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 it just, I, I cannot fathom why they're doing what they're doing. I mean, even in what's happening in Ross Cray there, um, and you've got to work with communities. I mean, that overreach today in relation to Angar the Shia Khanna, and what, what's happening there on the, uh, on the ground and the heavy handedness that's been used there in relation uh, to moving the protesters out the way. That is not the way to do things. I mean, I've been involved in um, settling uh, some of the refugees that came here into the East Meath area. I, I, would, I think I would have worked on with various areas around the East Meath area. East Meath, now East Coast, I have to yeah. specify the East Coast. So I, I would have worked on the areas from Julie to Noor. 
Stamolan, Bettystown, uh, Gormanston, and I will work with communities there. And we would have worked very effectively uh, over the last two years. Um, and obviously, there is concerns with with, with uh, communities when when the when large volumes of people come into the community. There is concerns. Now, sometimes as local leaders, we are able to work on the ground, make sure that we have infrastructure there to support the numbers that are coming in, and we're able to get we're able to get things off the ground without any protests happening. And we've been able to do that so far over over on my part of the country, uh, a county here in Mead. However, I mean, I was talking to a, a minister here uh, the other day and I was saying we just can't take any more here on this particular, on the east coast of, of Mead anymore. We don't have the doctors, we don't have the schools, we don't have the infrastructure anymore. And oh, they're coming. They're coming, whether you like it or not, they're coming. Now, that person has had absolutely no involvement whatsoever with any of the migrants uh, that have come in to our to to the east coast. Yet he will dictate to the likes of me that works on the ground with communities and with people. Oh, you have to take them. You must take them. They're coming whether you like it or not. That is not the way that the government uh, should be working with communities. There's a way well, to do well, it, well, and there's a way that's, not that's to do it. And they are doing it very well. Show people what's going on who haven't seen what's happening in Ross Gray. I've just got a quick video here that I can just show you what's going on in Ross Gray this morning. Now we can see. That's a very heavy-handed approach. There's not an awful lot of protesters. And I look at the line of Garda Sheikh that have been drafted in for that particular situation. I mean, that's completely over-the-top policing, isn't it? Yeah, for me, for me it is. Because, you know, for me, it's about working with communities. And if you cannot have local engagement and local buy-in, then these people are not going to feel welcomed. They're not going to feel, they're not going to feel as if they're, they're moving into a community that's going to treat them uh, in fairness uh, and equality. So that is wrong. What they're doing there is wrong. What the government are doing there is wrong. And what the Garda Shikana are doing is, is wrong, in my opinion. Um, so, and that's happening, not, it's it's happening all over the country. And I mean, I was looking at the map the other day in relation to where people are, uh, where the most uh, refugees and asylum seekers have gone in the last in the last two years. And you can see certain parts of the, certain parts of the country are literally saturated. Um, with with uh, large numbers, and sometimes that people, and that's why you maybe you're getting the protests of the likes of Donegal and and the likes of Mayo and the likes of Ross Gray. People feel that they've done their part. They've they have given what they can uh, when it comes to 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 uh, uh, settling refugees. And the I have to tell you, the Irish people are the most welcoming. I know because I I've done it. I've done it here. I've done well, more well, than most people. There's a limit to our generosity. Yeah, but yeah, but. I'll be called right wing. Yeah. I'll be called right wing. I'll be called. Uh, I'll be called a fascist. I'll be called. Uh, I'll be called a racist. I'll be called all of those things. Yet I've done much more than any pos any government minister uh, or uh, or anybody in government to to try and support communities uh, to uh, accept, work, and live together. And uh, they have brought the most of the people that have come into our area. Nearly all of them are employed. But, you know, I, I mean, I've written to the minister today, I, I, I've written to the minister today um, trying to find out, because I think an audit needs to be done now. We we have, as you said, 26, uh, what I said earlier on, 26,279 uh, international protection applications. Um, we also have 104, 
105,000 Ukrainian refugees, 75 or 76,000 of those are actually getting uh, state, uh, state accommodation. So I would like an audit done on, on, on those particular, uh, um, mm -hmm. uh, the international, the, the, the temporary um, yeah, the temporary, the Ukrainians are after coming in. I would like an audit on them because I know some have returned. Some have actually ha have returned. And a lot of some of the providers have found that they've got now empty rooms. Um, and some of the children have been taken out of school and are now back in Ukraine. Now, so I want an audit done of every single person that has come in here over the last two but, but years that, to make that, sure number one, are they fair, still in the country? Are they still in the country? Are they still in accommodation? And are those children still in school? So that, I think that's really, really important because this is taxpayers' money. It's important that we make sure that it is getting spent correctly and well, there is well, no what they've, also done, what they've also done is basically say, well, you can only stay now for 90 days or you have to go, you're on your own. Or we've reduced the amount of money. Isn't that really a nonsense? Because all they've done is move the problem from the Department of Immigration to the Department of Housing now. So they have to go. Yeah, let's be clear about it. After th after three months, they're not going to turf them out in the streets. So they'll go out to the housing list the same as everybody else or get a HAP scheme. Think about think about this. No, they can't get the HAP. They're, they're not allowed to get HAP. Well, they can't get HAP. They can, what, they can get rent allowance. They can right. get rent allowance. The HAP, HAP, HAP applicants are those that can actually go on the social housing uh, social housing list. So, uh, so uh, people that can go on the social housing list can only get HAP. Uh, the people that are coming in from Ukraine can apply for rent allowance at this moment in time. So when you come in from Ukraine, some people and some families have been able to rent house because there's maybe a couple of, you know, uh, a couple of adults and a couple of children and two families can live together and they've actually gone out and rent, rented, rented, rented house. But you can actually get rent allowance if you are from Ukraine. So that, 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 that can be done. Um, Look, I, I assume we need putting pressure on the services that we have and the lack of services that we have. But don't, just remember, there is 90 days. That legislation hasn't come in yet. It hasn't been voted through yet. And also, remember, the landlord is the state. So is the state going to make people homeless? Think about that for one minute. What's going to happen after the 90 days? Will the state make these people homeless? I do not believe they will. No, they won't. So I think that it, I no, think that that is just a it's a smoking it's a, it's a smoking screen as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Um, because the landlord if, it, it essentially is the government. Okay. What about the government? The fact that they're not willing to cap numbers. Leo Varadkar once again said the other day that they would be unwilling to cap numbers. Uh, there is no limit. Because he said he, the, fig, the the quote was he doesn't have a figure. So in other words, there's no limit. And yet the same man only six weeks ago said that there's a capacity in this country. We're now at capacity. In other words, he said Ireland was full. He just said it in fancy words. So, I mean, he's one minute he's saying that the, the country is full. Oh, we have enough people in it. We can't, we can't accommodate anybody else. And then he's saying, you know, six weeks later, he has no figure in his head. In other words, we're going to just keep doing it. Yes. Um, look, uh, to, to me... It is unsustainable. It's unsustainable policy. I, I think they need to they need to uh, look after what we have at this moment in time. It, uh, I think there's over 700 people down in um, in Stravalli, is it there where they, where they have the yeah, tented city intense. down there? Yeah. And I mean, and throughout and throughout the, the, the Dublin and throughout towns, you can see tents flying up uh, all over the place. And to be quite never mind having international uh, protection applicants or uh, Ukrainians in tents, even our own. I, 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 I don't like to see anybody in a tent. It certainly doesn't, no, it, it doesn't sit right with me, no, whether sure. it's an Irish person in a tent or a direct provision person in a tent. It, I, I, there should be nobody in tents in this country. End of story. Now, there's going to be a, a massive 
fallout between Darrell O'Brien and uh, Roger O'Gorman coming later this year because, you know, there's money being set aside there for Roger O'Gorman to go ahead and build um, uh, accommodation for uh, the temporary uh, protection applicants that came in from Ukraine. Um, I think, uh, and they're looking to build modular homes. And they're going to be put put on uh, put on outside towns or in towns or wherever over the next over the next twelve months, and they, they will they will be spearheaded uh, ahead of people that have been on housing lists for maybe 10, 12 years. And is is that right? Is yeah, is that no, right? That does, well, I mean, don't get me wrong. I I feel sorry for people who, who obviously are fleeing war and all that kind of stuff. But what it does is it creates a division in society because, of course. Irish people who are on the list for 10 years and say, well, why aren't you looking after our own inverted commas first? And, and look, they have a perfect yeah. right to say that. They are citizens of the country. They are paying taxes in the country. They are living here. Their parents lived here. God knows. So they have, they do have a point and we do have a duty and a responsibility to citizens of the country first. I don't see anything yeah. racist about that. But as soon as you say that, of course, you're racist. But I think this problem is yeah. going to keep going. Uh, I think like everybody else, Sharon, you probably agree the numbers should have been capped. And by the way, this is, that's not even a racist thing to suggest. You cap the numbers. We should have done this last year, by the way. You cap the numbers. You fix the problem you have. You sort out the accommodation for everybody's here. And then if we feel that we can take more people, then you reopen again. Absolutely. It's as simple as that. Absolutely. And, I mean, and, that's, and that's what I've been saying all along. You've got to look after the people that's here in the state at this moment in time. And, and look after them well. And uh, that that is exactly what I've been saying all along. Um, and, and you also so, enforce our immigration yeah, policy. And our yeah, immigration policy is quite strict around yeah, who can come and go. Absolutely. We, I, mean, I mean, the problem is now we, we need to have a, a an immigration processing centre at an international port, at our, our mm-hmm. ports, whether it be our airports or whether it be our, our, our sailing ports, uh, whether it be in Dublin uh, or in Rosslare or wherever people are coming in. And I, I, I know a lot of people Ireland, are coming way, now, the they're now using Belfast. People are coming in through Belfast. Yeah. So, you know, this thing, uh, you know, we're seen as a very soft touch regarding immigration and people are, you know, aren't, it's it's nearly a destination for opportunistic uh, uh, economic migrants, you know, that they can gain entry uh, at anywhere really, uh, at, uh, whether it be a Dublin airport, whether it be at Belfast, come into Belfast, come down, come down from Belfast in, into Dublin. Uh, th- Really, we well, are not, too well, They're soft. not going to stay in Northern really? Ireland because there's nothing up there. There's nothing in Northern Ireland for them. They're not going to get the same opportunities in Northern Ireland that they get oh, here. Yeah, but they're, yeah, but they're not going to get the same opportunities. But they're coming in through Belfast and coming down uh, yes. into, into Dublin to seek international protection. So we, you know, we have that, to get tough on our my borders. Final question, Whether, just in relation to immigration. Sorry, Sharon, for Russia, but that's my final question in relation to immigration. Leo Varadkar, in his letter to the Irish Independent, said this idea that, that it's a myth that Ireland has open borders. Realistically, it may not be official that we have open borders, but nobody from any part of the world gets refused coming into Ireland. So we essentially do have open borders, don't we? Absolutely. I mean, look at when you when you when when those figures came out last week, where people got in uh, to to Dublin Airport. I think it was what was it four and a half thousand people that got into Dublin Airport with their passports. That's an open border. People that are coming, people that are coming in uh, in through Belfast and down 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 and seeking asylum into the uh, pass offices in Dublin. That's an open border. So we have open borders, uh, and unfortunately, this government is afraid to admit it, and they're afraid to take the hard decisions that need to be taken when it comes to immigration in this country. Okay, the other thing I wanted to get to was, of course, the referendums. Now, last month, the government approved the publication of the 39th Amendment of the Constitution, the Family Bill 2023, and the 40th Amendment of the Constitution, uh, the Care Bill 2023. Now, there's a huge amount of myths going around, because firstly, I hear people saying, oh, this is the one about the woman's places in the home. 
Now, let's clarify. At no point in the Constitution does it ever say that a woman's place is in the home. And Sharon, you're living proof of that. You're a working senator. So you are not, the, the Constitution doesn't demand that you stay at home and look after children or stay at home and look after your family. So, I mean, why are we having this constitutional amendment? Many people will say it's completely unnecessary, whereas others will say it is necessary because it's misogynistic language. Do you think it's misogynistic language? Absolute rubbish. And that's the God's honest truth. It's absolute rubbish. I think it's an absolute waste of 30 million euro uh, to hold a referendum on International Women's Day. I think it's disgraceful, to tell you the truth. Mm. So, look, this, this, um, what, what this referendum will actually do um, it's going to change, it's going to amend the constitution to remove the words woman, mother, and home. So that's article 41.2. Yes. So that's exactly what it's going to do. So it nowhere does it state uh, that the, in the constitution that a woman's place is in the home. It says absolutely nothing of the sort. In fact, actually, it praises the work that women do within the home, raising their children and saying that without it, the country cannot achieve the common good. So, you know, I believe that any mother that should uh, want to have a right to remain at home, they should be absolutely supported within, within uh, and gov government support should be given to any woman, woman that wants to stay at home. Um, and uh, support so our children. Women, and, uh, women voting yes absolutely. to this are doing themselves a disservice, essentially, by taking their own recognition out of the Constitution. Well, any woman that votes votes a yes for this uh, would, I, I don't consider them to be very progressive at all. In fact, actually, it's the only time we're actually mentioned in the, con the word woman is mentioned in the Constitution and they want to take that out. Now, that's not very progressive as far as I'm concerned. Uh, when it comes to the other, the other definition of uh, taking family. family and putting in the the durable relationships. relationships. I mean, come on. I mean, absolutely ridiculous. Where, where, where? In fact, actually, I'm. They haven't even defined what this durable relationship is. But will you, like, will you I'm and not I surprised. Have a durable relationship. I've spoken to you on many occasions. We have a durable relationship, probably. Yeah, yeah, but you're not getting half of what I uh, half of what I uh, what I own in life. And this is the type. This is the type. <laughs> this is the type of thing that you know. What What is a durable relationship? I mean, this government has a huge inability to define so many words uh, in the current uh, uh, legislation programme. The, the word hate, they haven't defined that, uh, or hate speech. Well, they would have uh, the woman. You ask, you, ask, you ask politicians to define what a woman is. Some of them can't even define what a woman is or are afraid to define what a woman is. So, like, we have it on the back of our uh, Nile Boylan podcast mugs here. Oh, that, uh, yeah, oh very a woman, good. A woman is an adult human female. There you go. Well, well a, a lot of politicians do actually have uh, have difficulty in defining what that, that, that word means. But look, so very durable relationships, that's going to be, you know, a, a very sticky uh, uh sticky uh, combination to, to describe and to define. So well, there, does it mean long-term? People that are in long-term relationships, does it mean uh, polyamorous? Does it mean a quad? Does it mean a man with six wives? You know, what will it mean for family uh, reunification for immigration? You well, know, well, uh, Richmond was quite clear about that, that it would be beneficial for family reunification. Absolutely. How many more people will suddenly become well, eligible well, to come to Ireland? Currently, at the moment, family reunification is an average of 20 people. 
Um, and yeah. Carl Look, Dieter spoke about this on the air recently. So it's an average of 20 people per person. So that family reunification yeah. could really be extended to 60 or 70 if we change it to durable relationships because that could re- basically mean that anybody who comes here could say, well, I want my brother's friend over. He's in a durable relationship Absolutely. with me. And, yeah. I, I mean, and if you ask the government to put a figure on that, they probably won't be able to put a figure because they, they, they won't have a clue in relation to, well, how many more people are going to become more eligible to come to Ireland based on this so-called durable relationship. So, look, uh, to me, it's an absolute waste of money. It's it's a distraction from what the government should be doing in relation to housing, in relation to immigration, in, re- in relation to the cost of living. And even you can see the amount of businesses that are closing uh, up and down the country, right, left and centre. So there's a lot of problems out there that this government need to, to focus on rather than... Um, Putting the, the silly referendum the people on the one thing that's been pushed, the Irish Times mentioned it as well in an article over the weekend, that the reason they wanted people to vote yes for the family part of it is to recognise the role of single parents in this country. Do you believe that single parents are not being supported or unrecognised in this country as, as a family? Absolutely not. I mean, family... family uh, we have this fabulous statue in, my, in our town... Um, as you come into Delete, there's this beautiful family statue. It has um, um, a man, a woman and three, three children, I think it is. Yeah, three children. Mm. And I remember at the time it went up in 20, 2013 um, and there was a little bit of uh, contention at the time whether that, that should go up because it didn't represent, represent some people's families. But it represents all our families. As far as I'm concerned, a family is not just that woman and that child. A family yeah. is all about a community, um, and it takes a community to raise to raise uh, to raise a child. A, a single mo- a mo- mother is never really on her own. Uh, she, she might have the backup of, of her own family, but there's, you know, th- this is a good thing about Ireland. We we always support each other in this country. We all know each other. We all support each other. And to me and the people that I represent, I treat all the people in my community as family. So like. I, I, I would be very surprised if there's, if there's a single woman out there today that feels so alone that she feels that she has to get rid of the word woman. In fact, actually, there'd be no compulsion on this government to actually do anything for her if this if this uh, um, wording is taken out. Absolutely no compulsion. And, and just no finally, look after her and to look after her in the home. We've also seen in the news in that referendum that Roderick O'Gorman um, more or less insisting that NGOs support the yes campaign vote and if they don't, they need good reason why they shouldn't, which seems quite threatening in relation to funding, a lot of people have said. Um, do you believe that was quite a horrendous thing for him to say? Now, it, it, it was quoted so it was as how to behave and what to do uh, in order to get government funding. Then, uh, to be quite honest, I, I think that's a very sad day for democracy in this country. NGOs should be allowed to make up their own mind in relation to this leg- this legislation and this referendum. And they shouldn't be uh, driven out to push something in in the front door that the government can't get in the back door. So uh, so what I would say is that it is, it is grossly um, undemocratic for Roderick O'Gorman or any government minister to tell the NGOs in this country uh, how they should be out there uh, giving the message to the people in relation to this referendum. Um, it is, it, it's it's a very simple referendum. Um, so people have to, they'll either vote yes or vote no to change, to, to, to amend, to vote for the amendments. And I will be asking people to vote no on both of them. I think, I think there's a number of senators, a number of TDs out there that will be calling on the same. Well, listen, thank you very much indeed. And I appreciate you coming on to talk to us today. I think you've got the message clearly across there. Sharon Kogan, thank you very much indeed.
Thank you. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Podcast. Listen live on Facebook, YouTube, and all the usual live stream services. To get in touch, just WhatsApp or text 085-100-2255. The Niall Boylan Podcast. They told me to shut up. Available for download from all your usual platforms.